Okay, all right. So, so we are in a series on identity, and I thought that this installment was actually somewhat appropriate for today because we're talking about um, how we are destined, designed to actually be people of love. That's not just a sentimental idea. That is actually part of God's design for us. We, we have been created to be people of love. Of love. I know that that's a bit of a cheesy statement and it's very sentimental to say that love makes the world go around, but, but at a very deep fundamental level, love is the oxygen of the kingdom. Love, love really does make the difference to people's lives. You can have all the material things in the world, uh, you can have achievements, but, but outside of relate, in fact, in fact, more and more governments are appointing loneliness ministers. Because people are increasingly lonely in this world. People are love-starved. Even though they may be stimulated and distracted and, and be experiencing dopamine hits because of um, increasing access to, to entertainment and stuff online, that's fine, but, but it's not replacing the deepest need for love. We are actually created to be people of love. And we were created because of love. God loves us. And part of his destiny for us, part of his design for us, is for us to be people of love. I came across a statement some time ago, which I thought was quite sobering, where, where the author said that at its core, sin is a failure to love. At its core, sin is a failure to love. It's not just being dirty or ugly or nasty, it's actually a failure to love. The fifth century bishop uh, of, well, of Hippo, which I can't still quite make out if, it was, if this is what was in Algeria or Egypt, but Augustine, Bishop Augustine, gave this definition towards sin and towards a failure of love. It's a power that curves in on itself. Sin is when we curve in on ourselves. So, so, so instead of actually loving others, we become distracted with ourselves. We become obsessed with ourselves. This is different, of course, to appropriate self-care, to appropriate uh, attention to, towards self-awareness and, and, and those kinds of things so that we can grow. But, but at its core, sin is love turned in on itself. When we become selfish, greedy, think about wars in the world, think about, think about inequality, think about injustice, think about corrupt leadership, think about pretty much anything that is harming people. It is love turned in on itself. If you have been with us for the last few weeks, you may or may not have noticed that we've been trying to use kind of a key passage for each week from the book of Ephesians. And I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, reading from the first verse. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. This is written by one of the early church leaders, Paul. I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. And here's, here's the key line, because of your love. Not just to tick a box, not just to be moral, not just to, to look good, not just to be a, a good Christian or a good human or a good person. No, no, because of love. Again, Paul's the author here, but writing to a different group of Christians in the book of Galatians, chapter five or six, he says, for in, Christ, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Don't worry, we're not going to get into that right now. Here's the key part of that verse. The only thing that counts, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
Again, some of you might be familiar, or you may have heard uh, the passage on 1 Corinthians 13 having been spoken about at weddings, even though it wasn't written to, I mean, it's applicable to weddings, it's applicable to marriage, but it was actually written into the context of Christians serving together, serving one another. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about um, ministry gifts and abilities and, and ways to serve one another. Chapter 14 goes into some, again, some further expressions of spiritual gifts, and then it's almost like he, like he sandwiches it with, he, he tries to glue it together with explaining just how important love is. He's saying you can do all these things, but if we're not motivated by love, the first three verses say, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. To be blunt, you could be Pentecostal, you can speak in tongues, you can, you can speak in any language and, and be able to do all kinds of stuff. If you're not motivated by love, you're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor, so you can, you can appear generous and even sacrifice my body. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is the oxygen of the kingdom. Love is one of the key, it, sh it should be, in fact, the key identifying factor of anyone that is in a relationship with Jesus. One of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples on the evening that he, that he knew he was about to be arrested, falsely accused, beaten, brutalized, tortured, murdered, etc. One of the last things he said is that people will know that you are my disciples, not by what you declare, not, I mean, although that's fine, that, that matters, but, but not by what you say, not by how much you know, but by your love for one another. People will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. In fact, in fact, he says, I'm, I'm giving you a new command. So the command to love one another had always been there, but, but he actually added another level to it where he said, I want you to love like I've loved you, which is another level, just so you know. That's not just loving like you want to be loved. That's not just giving back what people have given to you. Jesus loves unconditionally, sacrificially, more than what a person deserves. And Voskamp says that only those who are sent by Christ, sorry, only those who love are sent by Christ. Without love, Christ didn't send you. Came across this a few weeks ago, and I'm telling you, it is stuck with me. Without love, if you're not motivated by love, you can be doing good, in inverted commas, but Christ didn't send you if it's not motivated by love. Jesus address this in my opinion. Matthew 23, 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. He's speaking to a bunch of religious leaders. So if it were today, it'd probably be to maybe, maybe a group of pastors, I don't know. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Rich Velotas referring to this passage to this, to this uh, address, this challenge of Jesus, put it this way. They followed the law, but they forsook love. These religious leaders were following the law. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were tithing. They were ticking the box. They, they, they would pray a couple of times a day. They would fast a couple of times a week. They, they would do all kinds of religious things to tick the box. They were, they were following the law, but they forsook love. If it's not motivated by love, it is not 
of God. Some of you would be familiar, I imagine many, because it's a very well-known story, even outside of sort of Christian and biblical circles, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus tells, a, it's a parable, just so you know, so, so we can't read into every single detail of this, but he tells a parable, again, in answer to a question about love, about a man who is walking down to Jerusalem and gets beaten up, left, kind of bleeding, uh, injured on the side of the road, and how two religious leaders walk past and ignore him. And then a Samaritan who, it was significant that Jesus would use him as an example because according to the, his, his religious audience, the religious leaders, they would have considered this man to be a, basically a half-breed, this good Samaritan. The, well, not the good, the Samaritan. He was just a Samaritan before he was a good Samaritan. They, they would have had very little regard for him. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is revealing that the religious leaders who would have known the most about sin, they would have known the most Bible verses about sin, were turned in on themselves. They weren't motivated by love. Love affects everything. And this is why I want to argue again that this is not just a sentimental idea. Love affects every single part of our lives. Love affects, frankly, how much time we spend on a screen at home in our disposable time versus how much we are either engaging with or being replenished enough or getting enough rest to, to actually love people during the day. So nothing wrong with screen time in and of itself, but if we are loving people, it's gonna be seen through the filter. We're going to be evaluating through the filter whether or not I'm getting enough sleep or whether or not I'm gaming or watching or scrolling until three o'clock every morning and then wondering why I'm irritable and moody and, and unpleasant to be around. Well, the, the truth is, if, if I'm trying to love people, it's probably gonna affect how I spend my time. If watching or reading certain things makes you angry, there are some things that I watch or read that make me very, very angry. I watched a movie that recently, I don't know, I don't know if any of you will remember this movie, it was, it was released in the 80s, it, it affected me so much. Um, as a, I think I would have been like a young teenager, I think at the time, it was, it was released in 88, called Mississippi Burning. And for some reason, I don't know what made me watch this, well, not made me, nothing made me, what prompted me to watch this again the other day. And I just get angry all over again. Like, I wanna, I wanna hurt people. It doesn't leave me more loving. It, it, it may stir up the justice side of me, which it does, but, but I've gotta be careful if that's going to, whether or not that's gonna leave me, you know, flourishing and overflowing in the time I'm spending with people after that. I think that we can even think too superficially as it relates to health and fitness and vitality. If we love people, we will, I think, actually be motivated to be the healthiest, fittest version of ourselves because we actually want to have energy. I can't tell you how much differently I'd be living if I was only thinking about myself. Like if I was just, if I was just thinking about my own, my, my own comfort, my, but, but when you feel responsible for other people, you're like, it matters whether or not I'm waking up with a sugar hangover the next morning, or other hangovers, you know, but I'm going with sugar. It matters whether or not I have energy, whether or not I can, uh, uh, whether or not I'm resilient in the face of relentless stress and pressure. It matters. It's not just so you look good in your bikini or your speedo on the beach 
which in Jesus' name, I'm hoping that you don't wear Speedos <laughs> on the beach. Unless you, like if you're doing a triathlon maybe, or like, but just, just in general, try not to. Um, but it's not to make you look good, okay? It's not just to look good without a t-shirt on. Think about this. If we love people, we want to be the healthiest, most vital version of ourselves. And, and I don't get this right often. I'm just telling you that, that, that this challenges me. I will often think of athletes that will work hard to be at their best physically, to maybe, to maybe be one out of a few billion to win a prize. How much more important are the people that I'm trying to love and serve and, and my family and you? I'm just telling you, love will make a difference. Love will even motivate my time with God. Am I, allow, I will want to allow God to do work in me because loved people love people. I will, I will want to work through my own junk. I'll want to get over potential offenses. I'll want to have a thicker skin. I'll want to be secure in God. I'll want to have my identity in God. I'll want to be differentiated in God so that I'm not um, tossed to and fro from, from, from people's opinions and whether or not people like or dislike something. I will, I will want to, to be a good parent. You need to be secure in your love in God. You can't, you don't want to just give in to your kids' feelings. You want to be fighting for their future. That means that, that sometimes they're not going to agree or like stuff, and that's okay. Everything, how I, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, these are all things that will reflect whether or not I'm turned in on myself or if I am becoming a person of love. Make sense? Okay, a couple of very quick points. I'm going to rush through these. People of love are, number one, patient and kind. Again, if you've ever heard any teaching out of it, or you've read 1 Corinthians 13, straight off that passage I read a moment ago in verse 4, it simply goes into this statement. Love is patient, love is kind. And without unpacking that in too much detail, I just want to tell you that everything can hang off of patience and kindness. If we will, if nothing else, you just ask yourself from time to time, okay, if I think over the last 24 hours, or I think over the last week, how have I been kind how have I been patient? Or where have I lacked patience? Where have I lacked kindness? And not to, not to, not to be discouraged and ashamed, but to, but to be aware and to, again, be securing God's love and ask God to help us in being kind, in being patient. I'll go back to the passage we started with in Ephesians 1 verse, uh, sorry, Ephesians 4 verse 1 and 2. Just looking at verse 2, it says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. I don't know about you, that is not easy to do in the natural and you can fake that, but you can't do that sincerely unless you're being affected by the love of God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. This doesn't mean that you don't hold one another accountable. This doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. This doesn't mean that you allow people to hurt people. But there is, in everything we do, we are motivated by love. Even correction, even discipline, even disagreement. There is love Involved, And if you've been around for a long time, you've heard me say this before. If the way we spend time with God doesn't change the way we spend time with people, we have to change the way we spend time with God. If the way we spend time with God does not change the way we spend time with people, we have to change the way we spend time with God because we will be patient and we will be kind. And by the way, 
even though this is being written specifically to relationships amongst followers of Jesus, this is also true absolutely for people that are not in a relationship with God. It should stand out to us that people that were not like Jesus wanted to be around Jesus. It should stand out to us that people that, that, were not, that they didn't know who he was or were not sure about who he was, they felt safe with him. Do people that don't believe what you believe about Jesus feel incredibly, deeply safe with you, seen by you, blessed by you and by me? People that were not following Jesus felt safe with him. They felt seen by him. They felt blessed by him. Number two, people of love will serve and build up. This is referring to, again, back into like a church community, a, a, a Christian family type of context. Ephesians 4 verse 16 says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. He's talking about Jesus. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. <clears throat> Someone sent us, I mean, our intercessors, these are people that pray every single week for you, by the way. In fact, right now, there are people in this room that are just praying for you because we are so aware that there's nothing I can say that's gonna change your life. Just to be clear, only the Spirit of God, whispering, prompting, directing your thought, like clearing some of, the, <clears throat> some of the mist. Like I am, just to be clear, I'm convinced that a good message, a well-crafted message, a powerful orator, only, that can't change your life. Only God helping us to see can change our lives. And so anyway, some of the feedback we got from the prayer meeting this week is, is just, in short, this picture of, of angels uh, descending and, and ascending to heaven. It's a picture. Just give us some license, okay? And, and, and coming down with gifts, but actually, in some cases, returning to heaven with gifts because people are not taking them, not using them, burying them, or just ignoring them, frankly. The, the message behind this is exactly what we're talking about. We're, God has given us gifts to serve to contribute, to participate, to build one another up, to help one another grow. So I guess the question in this section is, are you living a life that is ordered in such a way or positioned in such a way that you're helping someone else grow? And that can be in a hundred different ways. That can literally be just making someone feel comfortable out in the road. It can be helping a family check in for kids' church. It can be helping provide security. It can be helping lead a group. It can be helping make coffee. It can be, it can be interceding. It can be, there are so many things, so many ways, helping with the feeding scheme in our community. Are we helping other people to grow? Number three, people of love will fight for unity. I wish I could think of a stronger word than fight. But, I think that there is an aggressive passion from God when it comes to his family, loving one another, growing together. Remember, unity, I've said before, is not just the absence of conflict. In fact, in fact, it's not the absence of conflict. We often need conflict for unity, but it's the presence of maturity. It's iron sharpening iron. It's, it's working It's working. Because we're united around God. So it's not just united to one another and, and this blind loyalty. No, no, we are united in God and we fight for unity. Verse three says, make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together 
with peace. It does take effort. It, it means that we do everything we can. When you've done everything you can, because by the way, it does take two people to reconcile. It takes one person to forgive. Just to be clear, forgiveness, forgiving someone else has nothing to do with them. It's releasing them. But reconciling does involve two people. Reconciling does mean that we put effort into trying to work the thing out. Number four, people of love speak the truth in love. Verse 15 says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, some of us love, that, love the part in that verse that says, we'll speak the truth. We'll stand on truth. If I destroy you with it, it's, all, it's truth. Others can go to the other extreme where it's like, let's just love one another. Let's just, let's just hug it out. Let's just, like, we're just warm and fuzzy. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious on both sides because there are two extremes. There, there can be an arrogance in as long as it's true, and there can be an arrogance in, yeah, but, but do we love people? Which actually, in many cases, in this context, we're referring to something sentimental. Love involves caring about what's best, caring about the future, not just feelings. But, but there's this tension, and I've got to tell you, you're not going to always resolve that tension. We would love it to just be one or the other, but there's a, there's a tension that we have to manage as we speak the truth in love. It means, it means we have to keep checking our hearts. I can love you, but if I'm not willing to have an honest conversation with you when appropriate, I have to say I'm not loving you well. That doesn't mean that you don't approach it carefully, prayerfully, but we speak the truth in love. And obviously that's assuming you have the relationship, by the way. Truth in love doesn't mean that every man and his dog has an opinion about every other person. I'm talking about if, you, if you're in a position of relationship or influence with that person. Again, I've quoted this so many times, I'm gonna stop telling you who it's from because I'm owning it. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth and grace is medicine. Truth alone, it's hurtful. Grace alone is completely misunderstood and is meaningless. But truth and grace, it's medicine. Now, medicine doesn't always taste nice, but it's good for you. Medicine doesn't always give you what you want. It gives you what you need. And then lastly, number five, people of love will forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Verse 31 and 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Listen, I'm reading that too fast. I would encourage you to save the notes on you version. I think they stay up for 24 hours, give or take. If you get home, if you don't have the app, download the YouVersion app, go to events, to Legacy Church, save the notes. I was, I was trying to reflect on these words slowly the other day. Because maybe there isn't bitterness, maybe there isn't rage, maybe it's a, a healthy or godly anger, and there is an ungodly anger, just so you know, and there is a godly anger, but that doesn't mean that, that there aren't some harsh words maybe, or slander. It's important for us to not just read Scripture, but to reflect on Scripture prayerfully. God, is there anything you're wanting to point out to me? Am, God, shine a light. Where am I needing to adjust or do better? Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted. That's quite a descriptive phrase, eh? Just so you know, in case you haven't picked up on this, I can get angry about things that I care deeply about. 
care deeply about injustice. I care deeply about people hurting other people. I do care deeply about people hurting the church. And I think it's okay to get angry. I don't think Jesus was singing kumbaya when he was turning over tables in the temple and driving, driving people out. But, but, we ought to be tender-hearted. So yes, I can be angry. Yes, I can care deeply. It can affect me deeply. But is there a tenderness, forgiving one another? And here's the standard. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Remember, Jesus said this on the cross, looking at the people that were murdering him. Father, forgive them. I'm just telling you, I, yes, I may have experienced a lot of various attacks and things over the years. I've never, ever had to forgive people that are in the process of killing me. That's a pretty high standard. And again, just to be clear, that is not a wishy-washy, mushy, sentimental type of forgiveness. That is a... That is that is a supernatural forgiveness that is anchored in who you are in God because Jesus knew his identity. He was so secure in God that he wasn't, he wasn't being broken in his identity by, by people that didn't know what they were doing. Loved people love. Forgiven people forgive. And I want to close by saying that the only way for us to actually even begin to experience this is to order our lives in such a way that we will love people even slightly like God loves us. If you haven't paid attention to our vision statement, you'll see it in a moment, and we've got it on our version notes where, again, you can actually down. So for me, I've, I've got this as a screensaver and something else I'll show you in a moment. But our vision statement is essentially reminding us that we are here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. That speaks of salvation. Salvation is more than just a moment. It's, it's the same word that is used for being healed, delivered, made whole. It is a life-giving message. And so our, our desire, our burden is that, is that we would help people, not whip people, but help people to order our lives around being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus would do. That order matters. We just had our national conference earlier this week. I did, a, did an elective where I expressed some of the stuff to, the, to our pastors. And I'm saying to a couple hundred pastors in the room, the order matters. In some cases, it can literally mean the difference between where you spend eternity. Because our nature as Christians or any other, any other form of religion is that we want to, we want to do first. We want to order, uh, sorry, earn that approval first. But but maybe you've, in fact, I imagine that you've done that. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's amazing how some of us can live like that for decades. I want to tell you that the invitation of Jesus is first and foremost to come to Him, to be with Him, to be loved by Him, because loved people love people. When we position ourselves and order our lives around being loved by God, it is it is not going to kill you. It is not going to burn you out to love and serve others. We want to order our lives around being with Jesus, being loved by Him, becoming like Jesus, which means that we respond to that love. So we first receive that love, then we respond to that love, allowing fruit to be formed in our lives. And then you better believe it, you will want to do what Jesus did. You will want to do what Jesus would do if He were you. 
if, if you can't think of the last time, what would Jesus do motivated you? I want to suggest that it's been a long time since you've sat long enough, slowly enough, consistently enough to be impacted by the love of God. Because I don't think that we can allow God to love us, for Him to reveal the truths of His Word to us consistently enough and not want to do what He did for us. Have you ever noticed, I mean, maybe you can't think of the last time someone was just outrageously kind to you. But if you've ever experienced just undeserved kindness, Sue and I had some friends give us some, st- some, some stuff the other day that I'm, I'm, is weird. I'm still, I'm fighting every urge to say, why did you do this? Because it's like, there's, 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 there's no reason. There's no birthday. There's no special occasion. Like, they were, they were just kind and generous. Like, it really, it really quite blessed me. Not because of the size or the worth of the gift, but just this, this kindness and generosity. And I'm telling you, it's, it, it prompts me to be like, I'd like to be like that. Like, may, who can I bless? Who can I surprise? Because it was nice feeling surprised. Like, you were thinking about us? Like, it was completely random. I'm arguing that if we want to be people of love, we have to first and foremost allow ourselves to be loved. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love each other because he loved us first. That's it. So I guess the most important question is, are you allowing yourself to be loved? And one of the ways of assessing that from time to time is how much fruit of love is coming out of our lives. I want to end with a prayer that we've often referred to. You'll find it on the Lectio 365 devotional app every single morning. And again, we've got a wallpaper that you can download and put onto your phone if you want to. I will often change my wallpaper so that I'm keeping myself aware of, of things that I want to be reminded of. Because what we give attention to, our attention leads to formation, by the way. And we're all being formed or deformed. But I love, this, I love the way that they end every session of every morning. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Doesn't that sound like a person of love? Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. Help me to be light. Help me to be salt. Help me to be kind. Help me to be a blessing. Help me to not be as concerned about correcting people as connecting with people and, 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 and helping model the love of Jesus that people feel safe, that people feel seen, that people actually have a taste of the love of God. If people only knew how good God is, they would want to follow Him. You would want to follow Him. You would trust Him. If you only knew how good God is, there's actually a passage in, in the book of Psalms where it says, taste and see. That's using metaphorical language. But like just, if you could just see, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I want to ask you to stand with me, please. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. But before I do, I feel like I have to extend the opportunity, the invitation to in a simple sense, saying yes to being loved by God. What I mean by that is, everything I've described today, it is only sentimentality and some version of trying to make ourselves better if it's not anchored in and strengthened by and and empowered by being loved by Jesus. The greatest description or example of love 
was Jesus literally laying his life down for us. It wasn't just a token thing. He needed to. Someone needed to settle the debt that our sin owed. It had to be paid. It had to be settled in full, some of the theological language that he's used. There's nothing we can add to it. It's not, it is not achieved by us doing good things. Rather, we do or we want to do good things because our hearts have been melted by the love of Jesus. So in a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to close your eyes. And when I do, I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and, and you're making a conscious decision, you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to accept that crazy, outrageous, scandalous, reckless, completely free forgiveness, which is the first part. The rest, though, is that we choose to follow. He, we use words like He is our Savior. That's the accepting His forgiveness part, but He's also our Lord, which means He's our leader. We, we start to increasingly surrender our lives to Him and learn what it means to trust Him one day at a time, doing the next right thing you know to do. One step. After another step, after another step. But you're not going to drift. You have to decide. He's done everything he can. The only response left for us is, do we want to accept that or do we want to reject that? So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a few moments. I don't want anyone looking around. If there's anything in this message that has prompted you, can I encourage you just to open your hands in front of you for a moment just as a posture of humility and surrender and just, just respond to God with a with a short, gentle prayer from your heart committing something that has stood out to you. And if nothing has, maybe just stand and just say, Holy Spirit, help me not to miss anything that, that the Father is trying to point out to me. And while you're doing that, I want to ask you if you're here today and you are making a decision. You're saying, Jason, this is enough. Mother's Day 2023, 14th of May, I am making a decision to follow Jesus and to accept his forgiveness. I want to simply include you in a prayer. Without anyone else looking around, can I ask you please just to stick your hand up high? Not like the other people are with their hands in front of them, but high. Maybe even both hands so that I can see you. I'll tell you to put your hands back down again so that I can include you in a prayer. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands back down. Anybody else, you're saying, yes, I am deciding to begin a relationship with Jesus. I am accepting that forgiveness and I am choosing to follow one step at a time. 